So today we are in week three of our current series, Their Own Eyes, and, and what we've been doing is we've been taking a look at the book of Judges. And so if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. Uh, but, but the title series is taken from the very last verse in the book that reads this. Judges 21, 25, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so in week one, we talked about how uh, when people do what is right in their own eyes, um, they fail to do what is right in God's eyes. Okay, and in turn, they create for themselves their own set of rules, their own virtues. And there are things that our world uh, considers true and good and right and virtuous that God would actually call sin and a departure from his design for our lives. And so uh, what we did is we compared that to changing the rules when we played board games. Okay? And we talked about how sometimes we change the rules of the game uh, because we think that it makes the game better. And um, something that, that I didn't reveal in previous weeks, but when my wife and I were in college, uh, we played a certain game with groups of friends. And it was one of those games where you're eliminated one at a time out of the game. So if you're eliminated, you can no longer play the game. Well, she and I developed hand signs and signals to communicate with each other what role the other was playing so that we could stay in the game longer, all right? So if any of those people are watching, they are going to be furious, right? Because one of them tried to call us out, because we would do like this cough and then do a hand signal, and they tried to call us out, but we denied it. But we do that, we, we make up our own rules to games because we think that it makes the game better, okay? Okay to do with board games, not so much with the commands in the Word of God, okay? So that's what we talked about in week one. Last week, we began taking a look at some of the first judges, okay? Uh, and, and we talked about the cycle. We've talked about the cycle. I put up the, the graphic of the cycle time and time again, is that people walk in sin, abandon the Lord. God has oppression brought on them because that's what sin leads to. Sin leads to our oppression. People experience that for long enough and they cry out to God, God, please help us, we're sorry. They repent, God brings them a deliverer, God brings them deliverance, okay? Often in the form of a judge, often in the form of, of some, some hero, okay? They turn their face back to God and God brings them to a state of peace. God brings them back to a state of shalom with him until they again their eyes are fixed on sin. And so we've talked about this cycle. We've talked about, about Othniel. We talked about Ehud and, and how the land has been given rest for 80 years. And so um, the story that we'll be looking at today is found in Judges chapter 4. And we're introduced to our first and only female judge, and that is Deborah. Now, the way that, the way that Judges 4 and 5 work, it, it's kind of interesting. Judges chapter 4 tells the story where Judges chapter 5 is a song, okay? So it's kind of like, I don't know how many of you remember the old VH1 behind the, behind the music episodes where artists would, would tell stories about their songs and how they were developed and then they would play those songs. Basically, Judges 4 and 5 is a behind the music VH1 behind the music episode, okay? And you could, so like any person, this prompted me to go begin researching songs for examples, okay? So this is, this is what I would consider high-quality sermon research right here, okay? So for example, in case you didn't know, uh, Van Halen's popular song, Jump, okay? Uh, David Lee Roth was watching the news where a man was threatening to jump off a building, and he imagined to himself, what if there was somebody there that would just yell out, go ahead and jump, 
and the rest is history. The song was born. Um, another example of this is a Michael Jackson's Billie Jean, okay, very well-loved song. Um, uh, behind, but the story behind it is actually a little frightening and a little concerning. Um, but Michael Jackson received uh, letter after letter after letter from a one, woman who claimed that he was the father of their child. And he, he didn't know who this person was. There's a lot, of, a lot of fanatics out there. But this woman continued to send letter after letter, and it began to deeply trouble him, and he began to have nightmares. And so the song Billie Jean is, is actually a therapeutic way of pleading his case to say that that's not me. Billie Jean is not my lover. She's just some girl that thinks that I'm the one. The kid, that's not my son, Right? So this was, this was his response in a therapeutic way for him to deal with some of those emotions. And so what you'll find about these stories in Judges 4 and 5, even in these VH1 stories that we're talking about, the, the story informs the song and the song informs the story. The same is true with Judges 4 and 5. There's details in the story that are revealed in the song. Okay, And so what I want to do is I want to walk us through the story. I want to walk us through Judges 4. And then I'm going to use pieces of the song to inform and give some detail on that, okay? So if you look at chapter 4, verse 1, it reads like this. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. Big shocker, right? We knew that was coming. Uh, Because that's the trend, right? The cycle goes back and forth. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army, Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagoyim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron. These were the, the tanks of the ancient world, if you had chariots of iron. Okay? And he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. That's a long time, 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. So I want to pause here for a moment and talk a little bit about Deborah. Um, Deborah is, is the fourth judge that we meet. Okay, we didn't cover a guy named Shamgar just because he has about two verses dedicated to him. You can go back and look at that if you want to. Uh, but while, while apostasy and straying away from the Lord is, is a common theme here, Deborah distinguishes herself as the most godly and wise of all of the judges that we will meet. Um, she was a prophet, as the text tells us, and there were, there were so many that sought her counsel. She even had her own little place uh, set apart for people to come and meet her. And as I'm reading this, is that she has like this place in the hill country. Uh, it reminds me of Lucy, right? Just she had her little booth set up. I'm willing to bet that Deborah had more customers than uh, a young balding child that wore a yellow t-shirt all the time, Okay. So this is, this is who, who Deborah is. She is wise. She is godly. And all the ladies said amen, right? Best judge out there. Okay, verse 6. She sent and summoned Barak, who is the leader of the army, the son of, uh, uh, of Abin, uh, Abinam, okay, from Kedesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Now I want to stop here for a moment. The way that this is said, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? 
it, it almost sounds like it's something he's already been told. Like, have I not told you this? It sounds like something, it's something that he, he already should have done. Now, gentlemen, how many of your wives have started questions opening with, did I not tell you? Okay. And, and men, whether we like it or not, sometimes we need the counsel and wisdom of a godly woman in our life. Uh, sometimes we need a lady in our life to light a fire underneath us to make things happen. Not all the time, okay? Just maybe sometimes, occasionally, all right? So let me read this again so that we can get the full context. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinam, from Kadesh Naphtali and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your land. So she's asking Barak, did I not tell you this? Is this not what the Lord has given me? And Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went back with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali. These are, are different tribes of Israel, calls to those tribes to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber, the Kenite, had separated from the Kenites the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak of Zaninan, which is near Kedesh. Now, this, this part of the story is kind of odd. Like, we're talking about Deborah and Barak assembling the army, building the army, and then we get just this random fact about this guy who's going on a camping trip. Right? It's sort of like, what, what, what does this have to do with the story? You'll find out very soon. So we know this guy is going to set up a tent. He's, he's going on a camping trip. Verse 12. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Herosheth Hagawim to the river Kishon. Now, the river Kishon, that's going to be important in a minute. Verse 14, And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. We can hold it at verse 15 for a minute. Um, how does Sisera run away? He gets off of his what? Does it seem kind of odd to you that a guy who would get off of his chariot, um, that he would get down? Last time I checked, chariots are pulled by horses. Horses are faster than men. Um, why would he do this? Why would he, he get down? It doesn't necessarily say in the story, but like I told you before, the song of Deborah gives more detail. Right? The Song of Deborah gives us some, some insight and detail. And, and as my wife pointed out, isn't it just like a woman to add more detail to the situation? 100%. So in, 
in chapter 5, you'll see probably the heading says the song of Deborah, the song of Deborah in, in Barak. And so this was actually a duet that was sung. And arguably the, the number two duet of all time, second only to Conway Twitty and Loretta Lynn, Louisiana woman, Mississippi man, right? Okay, there's too much love in this Mississippi heart. I'm sure that is a treasure to the Magnolia State. But in this story, in this song, Deborah sings this in verse 5. If you have chapter 5, you can read in verse 4. She sings this. And the heavens dropped, yes, the clouds dropped water. And verse 21 says this. The torrent Kishon, that's the river that they were doing battle by. The torrent Kishon swept them away, the ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon. So why did Sisera run on foot? It sounds like his chariot was compromised. Whether it was the river that washed the chariots away, whether the ground on the battlefield became muddy and the chariot was rendered useless, we don't necessarily know the case, but we see that, that God has intervened, that God has brought down the reins and he has rendered the chariots of iron completely useless. And so if you are a Canaanite, this is a moment of panic for you because the thing that you have put your trust in Okay, the thing that you use, the thing that is your strength, uh, you are the superior force. The, the biggest advantage that you have has been taken away. And if any of you, the, the thing about competitive sports, sports offer us so many analogies in life. Uh, there are analogies about overcoming adversity. There's, there's lessons that you can learn uh, about battle and warfare and, and struggle and all of those things. And um, if you're a college football fan, you've seen a game where there is this overwhelming favorite, number one team in the country, five stars at almost every position. Yet you're watching that game and all of a sudden, by some strange reason, they're down two touchdowns at halftime, right? That fan base is a little worried. That team might be a little worried because they can't rely on their strength. Something's not working right. The quarterback's not playing right. Uh, the defense is giving up uh, too many scores, and, and something is going on. Even when you're strong, what you consider some of your strengths, when those fail you, you begin to panic, you begin to lose momentum. And I'm sure the chariots they had were sweet. Like, I'm sure instead of being pulled by two horses, maybe they were four horsepower. Could be. I bet they had satellite radio in those things, heated seats. Um, I, I bet you they could pick apart their opponents with slings and bows. I bet you as they rode along and, and ran down their enemies, they placed bets on who could get a headshot. I bet they said, hey, look at that fat one over there. Let's trip them up. Like, I bet, I bet that they sat from a place of comfort and luxury while they were riding in those Cadillacs. But once rendered useless, what was, what was their bread and butter, once that's taken away, you see the momentum shift in a different direction. And so uh, the rain has washed away. Uh, the rain has bogged them down. And to add insult to injury, the, the, the main God, one of the primary gods that the Canaanites worshiped, the god Baal, was a god of rain. Okay, the people would worship Baal to bring down the rain so that their crops, so they could, they could have the harvest, so that they could grow everything that they needed. And so they, this god that they've, put, that they've sacrificed so much to in a way has abandoned them, that the one true God has exposed their small g God, 
that the one that you've always prayed for rain, he is going to betray you on this day and give you over into the hands of the Israelites. So busts a huge hole in their belief system. Okay, so verse 16. And Barak pursued the chariots, or what was left of them, and the army, uh, the army to Herosheth Hagoim, and all of the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Canaanite. Okay, this is the guy who was on the camping trip earlier. For there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. Okay, so Jael is a woman left alone in her tent. Her husband's off on a camping trip. Um, and it, wouldn't be, it would be normally considered inappropriate for a man to enter into her tent without her husband there. But they are in alliance with Sisera. They are in alliance with, with the Canaanites. And so Sisera believed this to be a safe place to go and to stay. And so this is what, what she says. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my Lord, turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug to, in order to hide him, obviously. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I'm thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent. And if any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was laying fast asleep from the weariness. So he died. So this woman staked his head to the ground. And, and I love that last sentence that, that he, so he died. Like, I would hope so, right? As the kids would say, no dip, right? Of course he died, right? And, and so I, I wouldn't want to live through that if that were the case. And so finally, after this happens, verse 22, and behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, come and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went in her tent and there lay Sisera dead, with a tent peg in his temple. And so I'm, I'm imagining this scene. I'm imagining Barak coming into her tent and, and seeing this man's head staked to the ground. And, and at the first couple seconds, relief that the general is dead, but then a little freaked out too. Like, can you watch this woman? Do you see what she did? Holy cow. Like, let's get out of here. And, and so in another twist, just an interesting little fact, Building the tent, pitching the tent, setting up the tent, tearing it down was actually considered a woman's job. And so the fact that, that she is able to, to take down uh, this man, this general, this military uh, tyrant in a way is, is, pretty, is pretty remarkable um, because this was considered a domestic tool. It would be like some intruder ladies coming into your house and you taking them out with a pampered chef orange peeler. Right, that's kind of the, that's kind of what, what we're looking at here. And so, um, so who is this woman? Who is who is Jael? And and what are we supposed to really really do with her? She's supposedly friendly with this commander. Uh, why would she do this? There's there's a couple theories. She wasn't necessarily an Israelite. Um, it could be that she saw that the way the battle was going, 
that here is the general, he's on the run, his army has been decimated. Maybe I, if I do this, I will be in the good graces of the Israelites and maybe they will give me favor. Um, another clue that we are given in the song of Deborah is, is the kind of man that Sisera was. Uh, the song of Deborah reveals and gives many clues to uh, Sisera's reputation for enslaving and violating women. Um, that, that he collected them and basically did whatever he wished. And you can put that together if you want to. And um, no, no woman wants that. And, and any woman who knows of a man that does that would consider that evil, wicked, and vile. And so it, it could be that given this opportunity, even though she is aligned with him, given this opportunity, she saw this as an opportunity um, to, do, to do what is right and to slay a man that would do that very thing. Because the word of God actually considers J.L. a hero. The word of God says most blessed of women is J.L. She is considered a hero among women of the Bible. And there's, there's a meme that's gone around the past couple years. Um, many of you have heard of Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 talks about uh, the, the godly Proverbs 31 woman, a woman of virtue, a woman of, of, of grace and mercy. Um, any woman should strive to be the Proverbs 31 woman. That's a lot, a lot of women's ministries uh, focus on that verse. But um, there's a, a popular phrase that goes on. I wrote it down. Um, if you can't handle me at my Judges 4, uh, you don't deserve me at my Proverbs 31. JL is the lady that they are referencing in that, in that passage. So just reference for that if you ever come across that. So, but, but this is, this is what, how the story unfolds. Okay, and we can conclude it in verse 23. It says, So on that day, God subdued Jabin the, king, uh, Jabin the king of Canaan before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin and the, ki- and the king of Canaan until they destroyed Jabin the king of Canaan. And so Deborah's story, her, her duet ends with 40 years of rest and peace. It ends with God's people turning from their sin turning from their gods and focusing back on who he is. And so looking at the story, it's a little different than some of the ones that we've read previously. Um, In the story, we see God using three key players. We see the wise, the godly woman in Deborah. We see a reluctant, hesitant general in Barak. And we see a, a homemaking wife who seized this opportunity in jail. And, and this judge's story definitely has a team feel to it. And, and as I read through the story, I'm asking God, okay, God, what are, you, what are you trying to teach us? What are you trying to reveal to us about your character? What are you trying to reveal to us about your nature? Because there's, there's always more there. There's always more that, that we can read into it. And, and in Judges, we, we have seen God come through so many times. We have seen the people call out to him in repentance and God comes through. Um, but lo- at a closer look, looking at these three characters, again, we see Deborah as this great woman of faith. We see Jael as this woman of action um, embracing this moment that has been given to her. But then we also see Barak as this man of hesitancy, of, of, of being unsure and the more I just prayed about it and thought about this, it makes sense because back in, way back in verse 3, does anyone remember how long had these people been oppressed? 20 years. That's a long time. 
Okay, none of us have experienced oppression from another country in our lifetime. Okay, you want to talk about experiencing that for 20 years. And, and if this guy has been in the military, I'm sure he's seen, he's taken a lot of L's. Okay, seen a lot of losses. Okay, if he enlisted around 20 or 30, for the last 20 years or so, he has seen friends killed family members run down by chariots he has seen he has seen sisters and daughters taken away like this man has seen has seen so much and so I, I can't imagine being in his shoes actually considering that we could have a victory that things could actually go right after all of the loss after all of the suffering after all of just the the the, the losses and the battles that he has seen the Israelites lose but despite all the losses, despite all of the odds being stacked against Israel, okay, going on the command of God, hearing what God has to say, trusting the word of God from this woman that, that everyone knows and respects, Barak does something and models something that I think that we can all embrace, is that when you don't have faith, you can have obedience. When you don't have faith, you can have obedience, and in time, God will come through. And when I say don't have faith, I'm not necessarily talking about not having any faith in God, that there's a belief in God. I'm, I'm not talking about that, but I'm saying that we all have plenty of doubts in our own lives where we don't think God will come through on something, where it's hard to believe. It's hard to, to think that things will go well. It's hard to believe that this will work out for me or that this will have a positive ending. But when in doubt, do what God has told you to do. Do what God has commanded you to do and be obedient. Okay, because this is the very thing that Jesus told his disciples. Okay, because if you look back in Luke 5, Jesus' disciples, they've been fishing all night. And they're coming in in the morning and he tells them, hey, launch out into the deep and put your nets down again. And they say to him, Jesus, we've been fishing all night. We haven't caught a single thing. But because you say so, we'll do it. And what happens? They let their nets down and their boat begins to sink because of the catch that they get. Obedience. Okay? They could have easily said, Jesus, you don't know anything about fishing. Barak could have said, Deborah, you don't know anything about warfare. Okay? When you have your doubts, and you will, okay? when you don't have much faith, you don't have much trust, we can still choose to be obedient. Even when we're not sure how it will work out. If we, listen, if we knew the answers, if we knew all the answers, it wouldn't really require much faith, would it? We would all love to know how exactly this is going to work out. We would all love to know how this problem is going to fix itself, how God is going to arrange these things. Okay, but this is, this is where God asks a little bit of faith of us because if we, if we can give him just that little bit of faith, and be obedient, okay, and be obedient and have him walk us through that, okay, we will see him work, we will see him move, we will see him act, and we will see him bring us a victory, we will see him take care of us, and so with that, I don't know, I don't know what's hard for you to believe right now, right, so many different personalities, so many different stages of life, okay, children, teenagers, young adults, senior adults, like, we're, we all have areas that we're not exactly just thriving in faith, right? How certain situations will work out, okay? Like, will, will my kids finally come around? Will my, kid, will, will my kids sort of make this turn, right? Will this person that I love overcome this addiction that they've been fighting for years? 
right? Will this person find joy? Will I find joy? Will I find the peace that I'm looking for? Will this person come to faith? Will I have enough to retire with this, in this crazy world that we live in? Am I doing right by my kids? Am I loving the spouse, my spouse the way that God has commanded me? Am I raising my kids and investing in my kids the way that I am supposed to? Um, how will my business survive going through this? There's all areas that we have, okay, that, that we're, we have doubts and that we're lacking in our faith. It's easy to do that. So I, I, what I want us to do, what I want to encourage you this morning is, is where you are as we enter into a time of prayer, I want you to name that. Like you don't have to say it out loud, but, but as I'm talking about this, we can all name things like that where we are lacking faith, that we have our doubts. And I, wanna, I want you to ask yourself, what does is, what is being obedient in these areas look like for me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you that, that you are a God that brings victory. You are a God that does deliver us, that when we call on your name, that you, you deliver us, that you help us, that you save us. And God, you, you have redeemed us through the blood of your son. You have saved us. And so God, we all have those doubts. We all have uh, things that, we, that bring us fear, that bring us worry, that bring us anxiety. And so Lord, if we can, if, if we can just muster up a, a, even a little bit of faith, even your word says that faith is a gift from you. Lord, there are days that we feel that, there's days that we don't feel that, but what we do know is that we can be obedient to the next step that you have called us to. If, you, if your word tells us that we can trust you, help us to trust you. If your word says that we should go here, then we should do that. If your word says that we should focus on these commands and focus on, uh, on how much you delight in us, help us to do that. God, give us direction in our lives, help it, helping us make decisions that we have, whether that's with our retirement, with our families, with our business, how to handle a certain matter at work, Father. I pray that you would give us the wisdom on how to do that and walk us through that. Help us be obedient, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.